We are broadcasting almost live all the way from the 96th Street Masjid here in Manhattan, New York. And today is the 7th or 8th, 8th day of September on the Kafir calendar. Uh, that's what I call it. It's actually the Gregorian calendar named after pra Pope Gregory. It used to be the Julian calendar named after Julius Caesar. But in our actuality, it's not a calendar that Muslims are forced to follow. But if you're going to deal with the people who follow it, then you're going to be stuck with that. So we'll say that. The interesting thing about it is in many of the lectures that I've given here at 96th Street, we've talked about a lot of issues of ancient history. We've talked about the uh, Roman Empire and how it developed, how it came about, all the way back to Alexander the, the not-so-great and all the way up to um, the most recent events that have taken place in the last century. What I wanted to focus on today is what will that knowledge benefit us today? Because if we didn't learn anything from the mistakes, then there's no, bother, there's no reason to have history. There's no, there's no bother for us to get involved in it if we're not going to take any benefit from it. We need to go forward. We need to have something to work with. And so that's uh, what we're going to try to discover today so that when the events come up, which are bound to come up in the next few days, with people asking us about Islam, the Quran, and Muhammad wasallam, and asking us uh, so many things, subjects of terrorism, what should we do, what should we say? Okay. Frequently, I get a question that comes to me from our brothers and sisters asking me, how do I initiate this thing? I want to tell them about Islam, but I don't know what to say. I don't know where to start, so I just don't say anything. Have any of you ever had this problem? Anybody? Where you feel like, I want to say something, but I don't know where to start. I don't know how to get kicked into this thing. Well, usually... These days, you don't have to go very far because they'll ask you. But they're going to ask you in a strange way. But at least Allah is making them open the door because up to now, we haven't been even doing that. We have not even been opening the door. A few minutes ago, we heard from one of our young brothers and he recited the opening, the Fatiha of the Quran. And alhamdulillah, it was beautiful. But what would it be like if he just said Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim and he stopped? Well, he started it, and that's the beginning of the opening. But you have to do something. You have to keep going. So this is now up to us. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala caused something to happen. A very big event took place, especially for people here. They think it's the biggest event that ever happened. But one of the things I want to show you is what to stay away from. As my father used to say, there's more than a million ways to do something wrong, but only one way to do it right. Let's talk about some of the wrong things, and let's try to get in the end of this program, we'll talk about the right way. 
Can we do that? All right. You could, you could be like a lot of people, and whenever somebody comes to you and starts to tell you about how many people died in, in this World Trade Center business and at the Pentagon, where I live, you could come back, and you would not be wrong, at least in the information, if you said, well, there's been a lot of discrepancy regarding this issue. In the beginning, they said there were 6,000 people. Then they said there were 4,000 people. And now it's down to 2,800. And even last week's Washington Post, uh, several, maybe 15 people, have now turned up alive in other states and different places. One had amnesia, somebody else had run away from home, and some things like this, they used it as an opportunity to escape from their lives. You could continue by saying that, by the way, over 500 of those 2,800 people were Muslims. You could even so, go so far as to say, may we see the list, is there a single Jewish name anywhere on the list? And suddenly it looks like the Muslims have lost at least 20% of the people there were, in fact, Muslims. You could even go so far as to mention the article that came out in the Washington Post about the lady who gave birth to the first baby. In other words, her uh, husband had died, and she was going to have a baby. So they were monitoring, monitoring a number of women to talk about when they had their baby because they want to make an issue out of everything that comes up out of this. Every rock, every piece of dust has got to be accounted for and mentioned in the news. So they were ready to tell the story about this lady. She has a baby, the first one born, and no daddy because why he died in a World Trade Center attack. Except for one thing kind of backfired on him. It was a Muslim lady from Bangladesh. So they had to put it in there because they already started it, but then they immediately went to the second lady whose husband was a policeman and another lady, so and so. So they made it the top 30 instead of the first one, which they had originally planned to do. You could mention these kind of things. You could even go back to what happened at Pearl Harbor and say, you know what? It was mentioned, and it's very clearly stated, this is a, a historical document, that the White House knew one week, seven days in advance of the attack that was proposed against Pearl Harbor that the Japanese were coming and they purposely sent ships into that area so they would be hit so that we could enter World War II. You could mention that. I've done that in previous programs here. You could even mention the fact that it came out that Bush's cabinet knew that there was something going to happen to the World Trade Center and that's why they had and this is a fact, the FBI agents around the bottom of the towers that morning. May explain why certain group of people didn't show up for work too, huh? You could mention those things. You could even go back to show the persecution of the early Muslims who followed Jesus, who had the same problem when Rome burned in 69 and they blamed them for it, persecuted them for the next five years, drove them to Masada, assassinated all of them, and then in their history books they said they committed suicide. And in the last decade we found from archaeologists, we've mentioned it in programs here before, that they found those people didn't commit suicide, they were all murdered. 2,000 years later we found the truth. I'm asking myself the question, 2,000 years from now, 
who will find the truth about what's happened here. These, this is one way you could approach this situation. But is it the best way? That's what you have to ask yourself. There's a lot of knowledge that Muslims in the world have that people in this country don't have. But would it benefit you anything to try to start this kind of a dialogue with them? And I'm going to tell you, I don't think so. I don't think that any of those things which I stated, which may make your heart feel a little more comfortable in some ways, at least to think that praying, worshiping good Muslims who fast every Ramadan would take airplanes and blow up someplace. But at the same time, you have to realize that these people have already been brainwashed to believe that's the way it is. So this is what you've got to deal with the reality. You could also go into an area, and this is where they get in what they call the conspiracy thing. Now, there's no proof on this. Just a, a lot of hype, and it could, be, it could be all true. But the fact that the way that these planes came in and so on, they could have been controlled by a satellite. Could have been controlled by... And, and if you doubt this, by the way, there are brothers that will tell you real quick. Anybody heard of a Lexus automobile? You know what Lexus is by Toyota? They say it's not a car, it's a system. Have you heard of that one? The Lexus car, though, if you get the deluxe model, anybody been in one? You know what I'm talking about? The deluxe model has the map built into it. From a satellite, it's beaming your car, giving you directions and showing you where to turn. It's an amazing car. I was in one in Florida. I couldn't believe it. Have you seen it? You've got to see it. You sit there and watch it. And, and we, the brother said, now I'm going to purposely not take the turn and the voice is telling us to turn at the next one, go 200 yards, turn here. He said, because I've got to go by a brother's house. So we're going to go the other way. As soon as we made the turn the other way, the voice came out and said, make the immediate next U-turn. Make the next immediate U-turn. You have missed your turn. And how does this car know this? It doesn't. The satellite is tracking you. And I was pretty impressed, but the real impression came much later, just a few weeks ago, when a friend of mine was talking about a Lexus, and he said, you know, another nice thing about the Lexus, when you have this system, if you leave your keys, how many of you ever lock your keys in the car? Anybody ever do that? Feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> That's when you find out if you're a believer or not. As soon as you slam the door and realize your keys are still stuck there, the next words out of your mouth show who you really are. <laughs> if you say Alhamdulillah this is moment <laughs> it happened to me last week I'm not going to tell you what I said <laughs> but if you have this Lexus you call a toll free number enter your pin cone code you know pin I'm trying to say pine cone huh? pin code what will happen they program the satellite from where they are within 10 seconds the locks on your car go boop Pop right up. How? How can this satellite open the door of your car? And by the way, it's only $125 a year for this service. Something like this. In addition to buying a $50,000 car. Because we're not here in the market to talk about cars. We're trying to understand that when people tell you that it's very possible, 
Then you find out that five years ago there was a manual written by the government here how to fly airplanes by remote control into buildings. You could bring all these things up. But I'm going to tell you something. All you're going to look like is coming up with excuses. They're not going to buy it. They're not going to like it. And even if you brought proof after proof after proof, they're not going to accept it because their God, which is the newspaper, told them different. So what should we do? And that's where we want to come to. We don't want to go into the millions. I just gave you a couple. I want to talk about now what's the right thing to do. You're a Muslim. I'm a Muslim. Alhamdulillah. That's, that's good news. Very good news. Alhamdulillah. Praise to the one who made us as Muslims. Did he or did he not, I'm talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, did he or did he not reveal to us 2,000, uh, 1,400 years ago, I'm sorry, 1,400 years ago, something that we can use even today? It's called the Quran and the Sunnah. Yes or no? We read the Quran in the Arabic language. Forget about English, by the way, that's a, that's a problem. In the Arabic language, we read the Quran and we find that Allah is very clear on some issues. But other issues, Allah even tells us in the Quran, He put things in there in an ambiguous way on purpose so that the people who have disease in their heart will try to make tafsir or tatwil of these ambiguous or mutashabihat verses. This is in Surah Al-Imran where Allah is talking about this. The reason is to test these people. But there are verses very clear in the Quran. But So what do we do? I'm just a normal person, and I'm not expert in anything. I'm not expert on any subject. So how can I go out to my Quran and figure out what's going on here? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent something with the Quran. The Prophet said, I've been sent with the Quran and something like it. What was he talking about? The Sunnah. Some brothers will try to tell you, and this is important for us to focus right now on this subject. Some brothers are going to try to tell you, we don't take hadith. Have you heard this? Or we don't know about hadith. I don't know. You know, but Allah preserved the Quran, but we don't, we're not obliged to take the hadith. Have you heard this? What did Allah tell us in the Quran about this subject of following Muhammad sallallahu Do we have to follow him? Allah said in the Quran, if you really love Allah, please say, tell the Prophet something. Tell him, say if you really love Allah, then follow me. Then and only then, Allah, He will forgive your zanubakum, your sins, and He is Ghafur Rahim, the forgiver of the merciful. So for sure, this is important. Does Allah say in the Quran, obey Allah and obey the Rasul? How many times? Anybody know? Eighteen times. Does He ever say in the Quran, obey the Rasul? And He doesn't mention Himself. Yes, He does. Oops, gotcha. <laughs> in one of the verses in the Quran he said obey the Rasul by the way I have a concordance of the Quran that's how I know these things I'm not really smart I just read a lot <coughs> so I found in there the one verse and it's saying obey the prophet how can you obey him وسلم, and he's dead he's not talking is he no this, this, is not, this is not what it means, is it? And if you said, well, uh, now, this is this argument. Yeah, but that was only for then. So now you just said the Quran is dated. Now you're contradicting your own statement to say the Quran is perfect. 
It's perfect, yes, and it's still alive today, and so is the Sunnah. And Allah preserved the Sunnah by giving the guidance to Imam Bukhari, who taught Imam Muslim, who recorded so many hadiths, and he knew, by the way, he had studied over 600,000 hadiths, Imam Bukhari did. And from 200,000 of those hadiths, which he really investigated closely, he put about 28, 2900, 2700, I forgot the number, in what we call Sahih Bukhari today. These hadiths here are absolutely investigated to the best of his ability. And his student, Imam Muslim, did the same thing. Now, there are many other hadith collectors who did the same thing, but they also included other hadiths which they rated lower than that, and some they didn't rate at all, and other scholars had to rate it. Well, I'm putting emphasis on this. You might say, well, I thought this was going to be a talk about how to deal with 9-11. This is, because if you don't know the sunnah, if you don't know what the Prophet ﷺ did in these instances, you won't know what to do. And you need to have firm yakin, belief in what he taught is right. The Prophet ﷺ is a human being, yes, but he's not an average human being. He brought you something. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said he sent him what as the rahmah alamin. What does that mean? The mercy to mankind. Don't turn your back on this. This is a real salvation for us to listen to what he said. The things that he predicted have happened. Let me share with you some amazing hadiths. There are parts of hadith. The hadith of Jibril, one of the most famous, talking about what we believe and how we believe it. At the end of it, it says that the one asked him, asked the Prophet ﷺ, when is the last day? When is the hour? He said the one asking doesn't know any more than the one being asked, but the signs are that the slave will give birth to the master and that the poor Arab shepherd of the desert will suddenly be competing with each other to build tall buildings in the desert. Have these two things occurred, yes or no? Then how in the world can you turn down Hadith when it said what's going to happen and you're living there? And how about the Hadith of Rasul who said in the last day a man's extremities will talk to him? Excuse me, let me check my cell phone. I've got to see what's going on. Huh? Think your extremities are talking to you. And he said his side will inform him about what's happening in his home while he's away. Hello? And you want to tell me you don't trust Hadith? This is not logic. This is somebody who is ignoring prophecy. And this is part of the mu'ajiz of the miracle of Islam. The Quran naturally is mu'ajiz, a, a miracle of Islam, but also the sunnah. And the Prophet is telling us. And now let's look to him and see how did he deal with these issues. Was he ever persecuted in his own land? Was he? In fact, he was standing by a tall building. The tallest building extant at the time of his life. He was standing by it praying. And then when his head was on the ground, Abu Jahl, the father of ignorance, put the insides of a camel on top of him in front of that building. What was the building? The Kaaba. How many of you have been there, seen the Kaaba? It's big. And by their standards at that time, it was huge. So he had problems too. How did he respond? That's what we need to know. How did he respond? 
Did he jump up, grab a sword, and go try to cut off somebody's head? Huh? This is the kind of story they want you to believe. Did he? Who removed this off of his back? His own daughter. And she was very upset, and he's telling her to be patient. And how about in front of that same building, in front of that same Kaaba, when one of the Sahabi asked him, because they were being persecuted by the tribe, their own tribe, their own people. And he came to him and he said, when is Allah going to give us support? When are we going to be able you know, to come victorious on this? And what did the Prophet ﷺ do? Did he say, yeah, grab a sword and let's go chop off a head? No. He chastised him. He warned him. He even told him, he said, people before us suffered more than that. If you're going to bring this message of la ilaha illallah, you will suffer yes or no. And the Prophet ﷺ talked about people have their skin peeled off of them. Well, they're alive. Boiled in oil until they weren't alive. Cut in half with a saw put on their head and cut them in half. You think it's a joke? Did you read Surah Al-Baruj in the Quran what Allah said about the people of the ditch? They built a huge fire and burned every single one of them. And only one person was hesitating to go into the fire of the believers, a woman who just gave birth. And she said, what did this child do? I don't want to throw my baby in the fire. And the baby spoke. It was just a miracle. And the baby spoke to her and said, my mother, you're on the hawk, you're on the truth. And she jumped in with the baby. Yes or no? Every single one of them. So what in the world are you afraid of? To stand up and be counted to tell the truth. Now I want to caution you not to go the other way though. One of my brothers, a dear brother, I love him very much in Islam, works with me every day. But he said, I firmly believe the Muslims did this event which took place on 9-11. And he said, I have no problem saying that and I also support Osama bin Laden. I said, okay, stop. Number one, I don't apologize. Do I look like I'm apologizing here? Do I? Tell me if I do, I can get a lot tougher. I'm serious. I'm pulling back. But if you need it, I can do it. What I'm saying is, though, still we have to be balanced. This is not apologizing to tell you that Islam is very clear. In the fifth surah, Surah Maida, the 38th or 32nd verse. Do you know which one it is? You don't go by numbers. <laughs> this is the old Christian habit. Go by numbers. I, but I said in the Quran, whoever kills any person, innocent soul, it's like he killed all the people. And if he saved a person, it's like he saved all the people. Yes or no? More or less translation. This is pretty clear to me. Does the Quran, which is the basis of what we know in Islam, does it or does it not tell us that if you commit suicide, what? What? He's in hell forever. The meaning of it. The Prophet said the same thing. So people cannot commit suicide and people cannot take innocent lives in the way, the menhaj or the methodology of the Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, when they entered into any war, when it's the time when the Muslims were fighting in battle, they had clear rules. Number one, you cannot kill a person if he makes shahada. Stop. He said, sallallahu what translate to English, his life and his property are safe from your hand. Right? Immediately. If he has the same belief, he's stating that, he stops fighting, you must, that's it, finish. 
I don't want to break it all down too deep. I'm just touching the tops of these because we've got a, a ways to go to get to our finish on this. But listen to this. After that, whenever we go into an area of fighting, we are not allowed to kill those who are not fighting. You cannot attack elderly, innocents, people who are just standing bystanders, cannot be killed. They can't be hurt. They can't be punished. They can't be gathered up and interrogated and held with sacred evidence. So don't do that to them, okay? <laughs> what I'm saying, just to remind us to, to make a balance here between what's reality. And the Prophet ﷺ ordered also no women or children to be hurt, injured, or killed. Not like some people who establish rape camps to attack our women for years and attack them over and over and rape them until they either went crazy or they died or they got pregnant. We just did a three-part series on television a couple nights ago about this subject. And one of the brothers who established the treatment center and the therapy for those 30,000 sisters was on our TV show with us. And he talked about it. I'm, again, going to move quickly because I don't want to get stuck on any one of the subjects. I'm saying that in a real confrontation of Muslims versus non-Muslims, there's a whole lot that's got to happen before it's legal in Islam. Because the Prophet ﷺ was so tolerant that agreement after agreement after agreement that was made with the non-Muslim, with the kuffar, with the mushrikeen, with the ahl kitab. And these are different groups, by the way. We don't say everybody's an infidel. We don't say everybody is a pagan. That's not true, what they're saying in these translations of the Quran. There are different levels of different people. But in any case, they broke these treaties over and over and over. And not something, a treaty about where we're going to put a flag. It cost people their lives. It cost them their property. It cost them a lot. But the Prophet was patient, patient, patient. But when it came time to fight, they were very direct, like an arrow straight to its target. But this kind of event, which took place a year ago, is not sanctioned by Islam. And anybody want to argue about it? I'm ready to argue about it. Not sanctioned by Islam. But it's being blamed on Islam immediately. It also doesn't figure in common sense because this is not the way that the Muslims have traditionally held, I'm talking about over the centuries, held themselves. But it is the way of a certain other group that likes to do things and blame it on people. So I'm saying, let's pay attention, that we need to make clear to the people this is not Islam. Never was, never will be. If they try, now what they're doing, they mix something. They'll say, yes, but in Palestine you have suicide bombers. You say, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Do you know what the word suicide means? It's somebody taking their life for no reason. But every one of us puts our life at jeopardy every day. Every single human being does that to some extent. Don't you get on the BQE to go to work? Isn't it dangerous to get on the freeway? Could you die? So what are you supposed to do, stay home? No. And if somebody entered into your house and attacking you or attacking your family, well, what are you supposed to do, run and hide in the bathroom? 
Huh? So if you defend your family, defend your property, is this wrong? So don't compare Palestine to New York City. It's a totally different picture. Of course, both are dominated by the same force, but we'll let that slide. He didn't say that. I said it. He just laughed. <laughs> I'm saying that you cannot take the law into your own hands. This is not Texas. Did you read anything into that? <laughs> Don't mess with Texas. Now, I'm from Texas. If you said I meant GW, I didn't mean GW. And I'm going to tell you something. Now, it's time to hold up here for a second. Just in case that you think I'm some kind of anti-American, you're absolutely wrong. I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. I was raised in Texas. I live near Washington, D.C. right now. I'm as American as you can get. It's my grand-grand-grandparents that came over here and civilized this place from those foolish Indians that were running around not knowing how to be civilized. But we civilized them in a hurry. And then we turned around and civilized our own people that thought we were working for them, and we backfired on them and took it away from them. It's called revolution. Okay? Alhamdulillah. So don't come and tell me. I just, by the way, did a program down at Jamestown. Anybody know where Jamestown, Virginia is? That's the first settlement of the white people from England who came over here. They all died. The second settlement came, and they almost all died, except that the Indians had mercy on them. And for 12 years, the Indians... This is in their documents. Go read it. I'm not making this up. It says 12 years... The Indians cared for them, fed them, taught them how to put a plantation in, and taught them how to build houses on, with the material they had because the Indians there already had plantations and houses. And they even have a picture of a two-story building that was built by Indians at that time. How many of you knew about this? Whoa. But then on the 13th year... When the white man was independent and didn't need them anymore, he began to slaughter every single one of them. And it's my relatives. I can talk about them all I want to. Okay? And I'm, so I'm telling you, I'm a more American than anybody here, if that's what American's all about. Got it? And as far as anybody questioning whether or not I'm loyal to Mr. Bush, he's from Texas, man, and I'm from Texas. Don't mess with Texas. Okay? And Johnson was from Texas. He sure was. Ask anybody that lived at that time, they'll tell you all about Mr. Johnson. My fellow Americans. I remember it well. And now we got another one up there. And what I'm saying is this. When it comes to Texas politicians, we have the very best that money can buy. Did I say something wrong? Oh. Whatever. Point is, we're going to tell the truth. The truth is very important to the Muslims. The Prophet ﷺ let us know real quick that a man could make a lot of mistakes and still be a believer. But if he lies, he's not. Clear as that. Got it? If he lies, he's not a mu'min. He is not a believer. We will not lie. You ask me, I totally disagree with what happened on 9-11 last year. I think it was wrong. But I also know it was the will of Allah, and so I'm not going to cry about it. We lost 400,000 children in Iraq, and Madeleine Albright said it was worth it. And I'm not going to cry about that either, because that's Allah's will. 
I can't change what Allah did. But what I am going to cry about is the fact that there are a lot of living souls in this country right here that don't know what's the true Islam and nobody's taking this message to them. That I will cry about. And Allah will punish us for this subject. It is our responsibility to take this message to the people. And what's the message? Is the message about buildings? Is it about terrorism? Is it about airplanes? Is it about being guided from a satellite? No. The message is simple. When somebody came to the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, tell me something about Islam that only you can tell me. It's in the Al-Arba'in, the Hadith 40 of Imam Nawawi. He says, tell me something that only you can tell me about the deen of Islam. Kala Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, our Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, said, Say, I put everything into the trust of Allah and then be steadfast on what you said. It's as simple as that. All we need to do is get the message out. Let the people know, La ilaha illallah. Let me give you something. For the benefit of those who made shahada came to Islam, I want to share something with you. The most important thing you ever did in your life was to acknowledge, La ilaha illallah. The meaning of it in English is so big that volumes have been written about this. Volumes. We're talking about like encyclopedias about this subject. Let me try briefly just to touch on this because this is what we have to tell the people. We as Muslims are standing firm on one thing. La, no, la ilaha. There are no gods to worship, to be devoted to. Illallah, except Allah, the only one who is worthy of any worship and devotion. That's the point. Because the biggest problem is people are worshiping something inside of themselves and not worshiping Allah. Even if you see them outwardly worshiping a statue, they're worshiping something inside of themselves. Or their pride, kibber. And Allah is Akbar. Allah is Akbar. Allahu Akbar. I like to say that, by the way. Allahu Akbar. Feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, because Allah is, is Allah. He's Akbar. We're nothing. And these people need to realize that this is the point. This is what it's all about. The only reason Allah created this whole scenario we call the Hayat dunya the life of this world, the life of this universe, is for one purpose. What is that purpose? We have to understand that He said He did not create all of this as a foolish purpose. In His book, He said that. This is not for a foolish purpose. Then he told us what our purpose is. He said, I didn't create the jinn, the spirits, and the human beings except for the purpose to worship me alone without any partners. That's the purpose, that's the message. And how do you start? And now we're going to use the next five minutes to talk about that. And we'll be done. It's easy as that. All of this to get to this point. How do you start? What do you say? You just ask them a simple question. Look what you can do to anybody. Walk up to them. How are you today? How's everything? Do you know why you're here? Do you know why you're here? Do you know what the purpose of you being here is? And he might say, for instance, if he's at a store, he said, I came to get a loaf of bread. He's right. That's the purpose why he set out to do that. Or if he's at the gas station, I came to get some gas. But do you know why you're on the earth? Because the one who created you and put you here has a much bigger purpose behind what he did than what you do to get a loaf of bread or a gallon of gas. What's your purpose? Why did God put you here? 
Everybody tell you, well, I don't know if I believe in God. You don't believe in God? Then how did you get here? Who put you here? Did you come out of an exploding rock and come from a, what do you call it, evolved from a monkey? And I had one. It's on camera. It's one of our tapes. You can see it. He said, yeah, we came from a monkey. I said, can you show us your tail? I don't know. But how do you account for your brain? How do you account for amazing things that you see happen in your life? Maybe you want something, you desire something, you didn't even tell anybody, and all of a sudden it's in front of you. Anybody ever have that happen? You were thinking about somebody and the phone rang and it was them. You needed a phone number, all of a sudden it just came to you from an unknown way. It's impossible. How did it happen? So one guy told me, he said, well, I have powers. I said, what? He said, I have powers. I can make things happen. Yeah. He was a Jew. You know what he told me? He said, actually, he is like Kabbalist or, or Sufi or mystic of the Jewish. He said, I can make it rain. I can make people fall asleep. I said, you can. It's amazing. I'm really impressed. Could you do something for me? Just grow one hair from your face and let me watch. <laughs> or better yet, just make one go back in. And if you're some kind of God, I guess, I guess you could go six or eight months and never eat, right? Right? Wait a minute. Let's make it easy. Just drink all you want to drink. Just drink and drink tea, water, milk, whatever you like. And then just don't go to the bathroom for 24 hours. You're some kind of God, some kind of power. I mean, I like to see a free sample. And I guess being God, you know, you never have a bad day, do you? This is stupid. And some people, I met one, a Christian years ago, who told me he was never going to die. I said, what? He said, I'm never going to die. I said, excuse me, what do you mean you're not going to die? He said, I figured out how to beat death. I said, well, I'm sure you could write a book and sell that one. He said, because he figured out that all the body parts are the, what keep you alive. This is his idea. That when a body part fails, you just go and get another body part. And he said, eventually, they're going to have like a supermarket. You can go in, you need a heart, you need an eye, do you need a lung, a kidney. And this is his idea back in the 70s. He's telling me he's not going to die. I said, are you crazy? He said, no, I'm reading these medical manuals. They're telling me about this. I said, where do you think they get these parts from? He said, from somebody in a car wreck or somebody that, you know, died. I said, well, they died. He said, yeah, I just won't get in a car anymore. It's amazing. It's amazing how crazy people are. How do they get these ideas? One man asked me after a lecture one time, the first question, he couldn't wait. When I arrived at the university to give the lecture, he was standing on the step. He said, I got a question for you. I got a question for you. I know who you are. I, had, I thought they were going to ask me about my background preaching Christianity. I thought they were going to ask me about being a businessman or ask me about how uh, in Islam so-and-so. What I, I, I was trying to anticipate he's going to ask me about the Bible, the Quran. What's he going to ask me? So through the whole speech, I'm waiting for his, and we have this one. Uh, it's called Explaining Islam, by the way, if you want it. But after the speech, he get his hand up. I got my question. I got, okay. He, let him have the stage. You can hear him. He said, okay. He said, I've been reading medical journals. I'm thinking, okay, that's your first mistake. And then he said, he said, in the medical journals, it tells us 
that before very long they're going to have a cure for every single disease. They have, the scientists have discovered they can have a cure for every disease. I said, you just now learned that? He said, yeah. And I told him, our Prophet ﷺ said that Allah did not give any disease except He gave a cure for it. We knew that 1,400 years ago. What's your point? He said, because they can cure all diseases, people are not going to die anymore. I went, huh? Then he went off on his own. Now he starts fantasizing. This guy wearing a suit looked pretty nice. Looked like, you know, but then I found out this guy can't get across the street without help. He says, he says, now, with people not going to die anymore, that means everybody's going to keep living forever and ever. How is that going to reflect on your religion? What will happen to your religion when people don't die anymore? I said, this is your question? I wanted to laugh, but it's being recorded, so I had to give an answer to it. I said, Allah said in the Quran, Kullu nafsan Every single soul is going to die. So forget it. I already believe that. That's going to happen. And nobody's going to live past the average of, of their life, what they're supposed to be. Allah wants somebody to be three years old and die, they'll die. If He wants them to live to be 120, they'll, they'll be that. But nobody is going to live more than Allah wills for them to live. It's not going to happen. You can't add a second onto your life. Well, he didn't like that answer. But these people, we'll go back to our subject, these people need to know they're going to die. A lot of them don't believe that. They got a verse in their book. Anybody here used to be Christian? Anybody used to read the Bible? They got a famous, and that's okay. Don't worry, you're, you're here in America. You'll hear the verse anyway. They'll walk up to you and tell you, for God so loved the world. How many now who know where I'm going? <laughs> yeah. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not die but have everlasting life. I don't want to tear the verse apart in the, in the Greek because I've done that and proven that there's no possible way that it means that. And it doesn't even say that. It said, for He so loved the world that He sent, that he sent His Son. It didn't say only begotten in it, by the way. And that word son meant a servant like Abdullah. But that's okay. We're going to leave it alone. We just want to come to this point. It said he'll never die. Whoever believes in him will never die. And I say, you, the, all of them use this verse. And you say, but your verse tells you right there. You can prove whether or not it's true or not. Did any of the people who preach that ever die? Obviously, the, the Jesus you talk about didn't believe in it because he died. You're going to die. A lot of them think there's going to be a rapture that's going to come and pick them up in a flying saucer or something and they don't have to worry about it anymore. Have you heard about these ideas? That's what they think. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. They're in denial. All of us as Muslims, that's one of the first things we had to come to grips with. You're going to die. And then what? Allah is going to ask you. And for us, it's clear. Only thing, brothers and sisters, we need to do is try to get the message out there. Do your best. Got me? We have with us and on the Internet tapes, articles, CDs, many things that you can use. There's no copyright. You can copy them. I don't care if you copy them and sell them. Some people here in New York do take my stuff and copy it and sell it, and I want them to. So that they can stay in business and they're helping. There's one lady helping five other ladies from the efforts that they're doing out of this. I want you to support them in it. But from my side, I want to do it as much as I can for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
If you want to join us, you can do that. You can do it by easy. First, pray. Ask Allah to accept it from us. Guide us to give this message because you're not going to do anything without Allah's permission. Forget that. Ask Allah to guide all of us to give this message to these people. Ask Him to accept from us for this effort that we're trying to do to get the message to these people. It's very dangerous. It's critical now they need to hear it from us directly. There's no other way they're going to get the message. They're not going to get it from CNN. They're not going to get it from ABC, NBC, or CBS. They're going to get it from you and me. And that's it. And it's up to us to get the message straight and give it to them straight without all the extras, without the story about this, that, and the other. Just tell them, do you know why you're here? What is your purpose for being here? And if you don't believe there's a God, then how did you get here? Who put you here? Who gave you a brain? Who gave you a heart to feel? Who gave you the emotions? Who gave you the ability to reason between the two ways, the right and the wrong? Who? You must understand He has a purpose for you and me. And that purpose is Ibadah. Worshipping Him alone. He will not accept that we worship something He created. And so many times, these few words that I just said right now was enough that people would say, I need this. What is this? I say, do you believe that God's will must be done on earth as it is in heaven? This is straight from two verses in the New Testament. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer. When they ask Jesus how to pray, this is part of the Lord's Prayer. Thy will, God's will, be done on earth like it is in heaven. What does that mean in Arabic? Islam. That's Islam. That's a verb. It's an action. If you want to see God's will, you want Islam. Surrender, submission, obedience, purity, and peace to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you want that, you want Islam. And subhanAllah, within 5 to 15 minutes, you can see him stand there making shahada. Time and again. We have one brother who gives the average 20 shahadas a day when he goes out to give in Washington, D.C. We have one place they give 27 shahadas on one spot in Washington, D.C. The capital of Kufr. People making shahadas daily. Hundreds daily. And here in New York, today, we had how many? Three. Three today? Well, we've got to get to work here. <laughs> this is just one corner. This is just 96th Street. What about 97th Street? What about 98th Street? We need to get to work. And my brothers and my sister, without doubt, you think, so the one who has the best English has to do the job. I'm telling you, the one who has the most belief in Allah has to do the job. And if you think you can't do it because your English is poor, let me ask you, how hard is it to say, no God except Allah? That's it. Worship God. Can you say that? Worship the Creator, not what He created. Can you say that? And I, I'm not going to end now. I'm going to tell you something kind of funny, but it makes sense and you get a picture of what's going on with the non-Muslims. Because after I came into Islam, I went back to a congregation that I used to visit down on the Mexican border. I used to play music for them. I used to be in the music business, keyboard and all that kind of thing. So I went down. They expect me to pick up the accordion or play the organ or do something for them at this big gathering they had. And I didn't do it. And they were noticing I'm dressed different. I'm wearing a thobe and I'm starting to grow a beard. And the lady, one of the 
elders there in the community. She came up to a very sweet lady. She said, child, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? She said, I want to know why you're dressed like this, why you got a beard. What's going on? I said, I became a Muslim. She said, child, you can't be no Muslim. I said, why? She said, you're not from over there. I said, from over where? Wherever they come from. Wallahi, I'm not joking. I know this sounds funny. She said it. And I'm standing there looking at her like this. Duh. Huh? And I, it took me a minute. I was trying to... I said, okay, okay, let's back up. I said, first of all, let me explain something to you. You believe... And I use the same words I just used with you. Do you believe that there's no God except God? She said, yes. Do you believe he has any partners? She said, of course not. The second commandment is clear. No partners with God. She said, okay. So do you believe you worship him and him alone? She said, of course. What's your question? I said, do you believe his will needs to be on earth like it is in heaven rather than our own will, our own desires? She said, of course. That's the Lord's prayer. I said, if that's what you're trying to do, that word is Islam and the word Muslim comes from Islam. Who Islam? One who does Islam. She said, really? I said, yes. It means that you're a Muslim. She said, child, I'm not from over there. I gave up because I figured, you know, if she meant what she said, who knows, maybe Allah accepts it. Back off. It's 85 or so years old. What the point is, let's stick with that. Let's see what we can do to get them to say the Shahada with conviction. Because if they do, the Hadith in Sahih Muslim says, whoever say the Shahada with conviction, then the fire is haram to them. We have an article on the internet called The Nine Points of Shahada. After they come into Islam, they can read this article, Nine Points of Shahada. After they come into Islam, they can learn about the Salah. After they come into Islam, we'll tell them, you know, how you do Hajj. You mention this when they're entering into Islam because they're not a full Muslim until they accept it. But at least they need to understand why we're being in the situation where we're being tested. All of us are being tested. And the biggest thing of all is to realize that we have a purpose and a purpose to worship Allah and communicate that message to others. The Prophet ﷺ said, and in a good hadith, it was from the khutbah to Hajjah, that he said, have I delivered the message? They said, yes. He said, bear witness. He said, telling Allah, bear witness, I delivered the message. He said, and may those that hear it today take it to those who are not here. And may those who hear it at the end understand it better than those today. So we're asking Allah to make us of those people who understand this message. To make us of those people who carry this message. We ask Allah, Ya Allah, make us messengers of your messenger. Ameen. And that's the highest status we can get. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasan wa fil akirti hasan wa kina dhabin nar. O Allah, we ask for the good of this life and the good of the next life. And we ask refuge with you from the punishment of your fire. Ameen. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك جزاكم الله خير السلام عليكم ورحمه الله